0: Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville's podcast. We will continue our series on hurry. Here's a reality I would kind of share with you guys as we start off. Having more than enough is available to pretty much most of us every day. If we got gut level honest, we would conclude that we live in a land of abundance. And it's one of the blessings or curses of living in America. I want you to think about that. Because of the many options and all of the opportunities around us, and because even of God given abilities and talents, we must be very strategic and wise with how we approach every day, every life decision. We live in a corrupt world as we've established over the years that sin disrupted humanity at every level. Back to Genesis chapter 3, the world we live in is corrupt. And all of us, every person in this room, no matter what your age is, we all fight three common enemies pretty much every day. You're going to face them. I'm going to face them. You've got the enemy of worry, greed, and lust. And worry... Hits pretty much every person, right? You can get consumed with the past, whatever your past portfolio may look like, or you can become paralyzed with the future. And so many people, they just live locked up with worry. Anxiety floods the soul. They're all just kind of knotted up and locked up. And then you've got greed. And uh, we're entering into a new season of greed, if you will, going into the holiday season. And, and this greed piece inside of people is never satisfied. Uh, this, uh, this lure to always accumulate more, and gre- greed will jack you up. And then lust, uh, the lack of self-control, uh, the excitement for the forbidden. These three enemies, we're going to face them every day, worry greed and lust. And then, then there's three big lies in our culture, if you will, uh, that we battle every day. Uh, we've been told that our goal in life should be to accumulate, right? The old commercial, go for the gusto, baby. You've got to go for it. Get it while it's, while it's, while it's good. You, you've got to chase after everything you can. That's, that's, that's one of the lies we face. Uh, the pursuit of money The more you have, the happier you're going to be. We're going to land there. But I remember the song years ago, I just want to be rich. I want pie in the sky. I want this, right? And it's like, really? But it's a lie. And then another lie is having more is better. And we have heard over the years that he who dies with the most toys wins. And I've studied life for a while that he who dies with the most toys dies and takes none of them with him, right? But if you look at the lies and the enemies that surround each and every one of us every day, what we conclude is this, they will cause you to lose your joy. You get fixated on other things, and the joy of the Lord is no longer central in our lives, Rick. And if we're not careful, there's so many joyless people because they have bought into the lies of the world. And it will rob you of a true desire to know God? You start pursuing all this other earthly stuff and deep down inside you go, man, my desire to know God is dissipating and it will forfeit your ability to truly and authentically love your neighbor and have meaningful relationships. Ah, simplicity. That's where we're going to drive. Right after I got saved, my buddy Walter put his arm around me. I was battling and struggling. I was coming out of the world and all these flesh patterns. And there were things happening even in the first church I ever attended that were head scratchers. And I'm like, have I had enough of this? I'm tapped out. The church is not for me. And Walter came over to my house one day and he put his arm around me and he goes, hey, I I, I, I want you to read a verse. I said, okay, I'll read a verse. And Walter had already got me memorizing scripture right when I got saved, but he said, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 11. So I did. He said, look at verse 3, and I did. He goes, read it out loud, and it says, I'm afraid that just as the serpent tempted and deceived Eve with his craftiness, I'm afraid that your mind would be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He goes, read it again, and I read it again. Read it again, and I read it again. And then Brian, he said, I want you to memorize that verse. And so some 35 years ago, I memorized, I'm afraid, just as the serpent tempted and deceived Eve with all of its craftiness, I'm afraid that your minds would be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And I would tell you this, and I want you to hear me, that simplicity and purity is the gateway to devotion to Jesus. It is the key of really living a life of unadulterated uh, devotion to Christ. And I want you to memorize that verse. Now let me give you a few working definitions of simplicity. And I think these are huge. Josh Becker he made this statement. He said, simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things that we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. I'm like, that is a great working definition of simplicity. It is promoting the things that we most value, that we should value, that God values, and it's removing and eliminating anything that competes with that. One of the great writers, Richard Foster, in Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster defines simplicity this way. He said, simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle. It is choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. It's an inward reality. it, It always starts inside in the heart, but it can be seen and it's evident in regards to how we do life. How do we leverage our time, our money, our resources, et cetera? So you've got to ask this question, I believe, to yourself. Uh, do you live a life of simplicity, or, or is your life complicated and chaotic? If you got gut-level honest, if you ask your spouse, your best friend, hey, do I live a life of simplicity? Is simplicity kind of what... Uh, others notice about me, or is my life just complicated and confused and, and chaotic? Now, that being said, when I first became a follower of Jesus Christ, and when I first became a student of Yeshua, Jesus, and his teachings, I have to be honest with you, early on in my Christian journey, Jesus's view and teachings toward money and wealth was a head-scratcher to me. I started reading through the gospel shortly after I got saved, and these teachings that I was reading sounded crazy to me. And, and, and maybe if you get gut-level honest, they may have sounded uh, somewhat crazy to you. It was a hard pill for me to swallow, because I started reading where Jesus made statements like this, hey, less is more. Living a life of generosity is what matters. Focus on giving and not on getting. Everything I read from Master Jesus was kingdom focused, and it confronted this earthly stockpiling of wealth mindset. And as a brand new believer, and for all of us, we we, we would be wise, but as a brand new believer for me, I had to learn the ways of Jesus. I had to learn the rhythms of Jesus. Because if I was truly going to be a follower of Jesus Christ then what he said and what he taught had to be the ultimate authority in my life. Even when he says, take my yoke, the word yoke there that Jesus refers to in Matthew 11 means the teachings and sayings. And Jesus would make the statement, if you come with me and take my yoke, my yoke is is simple and easy and it's freeing and it's not going to weigh you down. Even in Luke chapter 12, Jesus made this statement. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Sell your possessions and and give to those in need. Store up treasure in heaven. Read that. Ponder that. We're going to stay with a lot of Jesus' statements right out of the gate here. But I would tell you, he said, beware, be, be on guard because possessions do not make you somebody. Possessions do not give you identity. Possessions do not give you worth. If anything, Jesus taught, greed destroys. He goes, why don't you sell your stuff? Why don't, why don't you help people out that are in need? That practice became a normal practice when you see the early church in the book of Acts with Barnabas and all those guys. They were selling their stuff and distributing as anyone might have need. They're saying, we're in this together for the glory of God. That's that's the way they did. Jesus said, why don't don't you store your treasures in heaven? Why, Why don't you stockpile your stuff there? Be careful, be careful what you give your allegiance to. What he's saying is, it would be wise if you live a life of simplicity And radical generosity, don't get too attached to the things here on earth. And I remember as a brand new believer, I'm like, do what? This sounds crazy. I've never been taught this. The worldview that I was introduced to for all those years apart from Christ was centered on me. No, brother, you go for the gusto. You only get to live once. You make the most out of everything that you can. You you ought to be living for you. And all of a sudden, I surrender to Christ, and he goes, no, 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 no. I was like, wow. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. Do not worry about your life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Listen to this. Life is so much more than Life is so much more than food and clothing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. Live a righteous life yourself. He will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's troubles is enough trouble for today. Don't worry. Don't worry. How do I get there? How do I learn to trust God? How do I learn to believe that God will provide How how do I truly get to the place where I can say God will take care of every need I have? Hey, Tim, just live righteous. Seek God's kingdom. Seek God's agenda. Seek what matters to God. I'm like, this is crazy. Anybody else in the same boat? You come to faith in Christ. All of a sudden, you're leaving the world. You start meditating on Scripture. You're reading what Jesus says, and you're like, this is crazy. Hey, if you want to live, you got to die. You want to get ahead, you got to be generous and give. Really? This is not your home. You're just passing through. Make your dash count. This is not, this is not it. I'm like, this is crazy teaching. Matthew 19, Jesus makes another radical statement. He said, I tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man. And the eye of the needle was this passageway back in Jerusalem, if you will. And it was this narrow passageway. He he goes, do you realize how hard it is for a camel to get through that passageway? I'm just telling you right now, it's so hard. And it's so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom because rich people focus on their earthly wealth and what they're stockpiling. And it's all about them. Do you not realize that it robs you of living a life of simplicity, that the more this earthly stuff you have, the more it complicates your life. And everything Jesus taught was counter-cultural. It confronted again meism and selfishness because we grew up and we were told that more money and more stuff is the answer. Anybody taught that? Hey, man, you got to have more money. And reality is, the more you have, the more you want, And the more you have, the more concerned you are of somebody taking it. That's where we live. That's the culture in which we live. Because wealth and riches and money for so many people become a small G God, and it becomes the object of their affection affection and it becomes the object of their attention. And instead of our attention and affection being fixated on the Lord, it complicates. Remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, when he was talking about the sower and the seed, he goes, uh, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, enters in and chokes out the word of God so that it is no longer fruitful. It chokes it out. What, what does? He goes, wealth is deceitful, is fleeting, misplaced desires. What, what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna pursue things that really don't last and don't matter. And in the pursuit of all of that, you may, you may even be doing your quiet time in the morning and reading the word, but it chokes it out because you're fixated and focused on that. And I'm like, ah. So so another question would be, when you read the Gospels and study the message of Master Jesus, do the teachings of Jesus comfort you? Or do they confront you and convict you? Because I can tell you before I ever entered into the place of finding comfort in the Word, there was a lot of confrontation and conviction And I'm like, oh, this is starting to rearrange my life. And and you stop and you go, wow. So have I embraced the gospel according to Jesus? Or have I embraced the American gospel? What have I embraced? Because the American gospel basically says, the more you have, the happier you'll be. Right? Right? Get that new dress. Get that new pair of shoes. Hey, go on and get that new set of golf clubs because the more you have, the happier you'll be. Hey, why don't you go and trade that truck in right now? It's got about 150 on it. Get you a new one. Hey, why don't you get rid of that smaller house and get you a bigger house? And why don't you? And why don't you? Because you're going to be happy getting all the stuff. That's the world in which we live, and it complicates. And so many people get their identity from what they consume. You remember last week when I said, speaking about the Sabbath and how it's not really a comfortable topic, and you're not going to get a lot of amens and people high-fiving and shouting? Let me go on and reword that same statement for this Sunday. When you talk about, dude, you're talking about my money. You're talking about my lifestyle but so many people get their identity from what they consume. Shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America. It hasn't always been that way. Shopping. Do you realize that Amazon has become the new temple? Y'all know them boxes be showing up almost every day. Do you realize that the credit card has become the new burnt offering? Debt, bondage, deceit, advertisement, and advertisers are the new priest. Just flip on the TV, watch the commercials. What are they doing? They're luring you. And having more money and more stuff is the American God. The only other God that Jesus ever called out by name when he teaches is the God, small g, God of money. Why, Jesus, did you call off that God? Because money is a false God and a lousy Savior. It's going to let you down. It's going to screw your life up. Even Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. I would highlight this, circle this. I would have this phrase cemented on my mind where Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and wealth. So when you go back and study history, and even John Mark Comer, the book that we're reading in Radical Mentoring that we've so recommended, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He talks about in that book how our nation, about 120 years ago, it became a social experiment around the pursuit of happiness. And if anything defines Western culture today, it would be, listen, please listen, that hedonism is the American norm. Hey, pursue all the happiness you can and chase all the pleasure you can. That became the shift. Make lots of money, own lots of stuff. Hey, if it feels good, do it. One Wall Street banker back in the early 1900s, he made this observation of what was happening in the early 1900s in America. He said, we must shift America and Americans from being a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire new things even before the old things have been consumed or even wear out. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And that's the culture in which we find ourselves living. And the social experiment that was rolled out there 100 plus years ago has brought devastating ruins to so many people's lives. We became a need driven instead of, a, or should I say, we were no longer what we need. It was what you want and what you desire. I was telling Hannah, my daughter last night, I said, you watch what's about to roll out here starting Thanksgiving weekend right? Uh, All these white bearded cats in red suits are going to be scattered throughout the world and they're going to have some little kid come up there and they're going to sit on their knee and that dude is going to ask one question. Whatever language he's speaking, he's going to ask that little kid one question. And the question is going to be, what do you need in order to flourish in life? No chance. So what do you want for Christmas. That's the culture in which we live. And do you know that we never outgrow setting on Santa's lap the, the way we do life here in this culture? It is always, what do you want? It's never, what do you need? In 1927, a journalist observed this about America. He said, a change has come over our democracy. It is called consumptionism. The American citizen's first allegiance to his country is no longer that of a citizen, it is that of a consumer. We're gonna teach them to be consumers. And if we're not careful, every one of us are being emotionally played every day. We're gonna gonna create an arousal of what you would desire. And can I tell you that desiring more leads to discontent? I got to have more. The message is, just be a consumer. Just take. Tap out those credit cards, bro. That's the burnt offering. Just pay the minimal. When you die, let them wear it. Who cares? Let's live a debt burdened existence. It doesn't work that way. Paul shared with Timothy. He said, do you realize, Timothy, there's two basic needs, material needs, that you really do have? In 1 Timothy 6, 8, he says, if we have food and clothing, he, he makes a statement, let us be content. You got a little grub? You got some threads? Here's what I would tell you. The fact that more money is the answer is a lie. More money probably equals more problems. More you have creates problems because the most important things in life are not things, it's people, it's relationships, it's family, it's your closest friends. The most important thing Ultimately, is your relationship with God? It's vertically, relationally with Him, and then horizontal. Everything you buy costs you. It costs you money and it costs you time. Everything I buy costs me money and time. And some people choose money and stuff over time and freedom. Jesus says, I want you to simplify things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring some teachings that's ultimately for your protection, not your prevention, but I'm, I'm wanting to free you. You know, you look at it and you go, what if the formula more stuff equals more happiness really is bad math? What if, what if really more stuff equals more happiness is common core math of today? Don't get me started on that one either. It's just bad math. It's terrible math. It don't make no sense. It's like, what if more stuff equaled more stress and more headaches and more debt and more bondage and more of what don't really matters? What if more stuff actually equals lust of what really does matter most? Hey, I want to give you freedom. I I want to give you more time. I, I, I want to give you the benefit of understanding. Jesus said, hey, this is, this is as good as it gets. I, I want to give you the benefit of understanding what living a generous life is like. Y'all all quote that John 3.16 like it's the secret sauce. For God so loved that he gave. How about eliminating all this stuff that's going to weigh you down? How about living a life of simplicity and radical generosity? If you can get there, I promise you it's going to free you. And Barb, I promise you, babe, over the last, it'll be 31 years we've been married here in a few weeks, trying to live a life of simplicity has been so key for us. Eliminating, we've never paid a dime on a credit card payment or whatever. It's like trying to obtain a simple lifestyle that it would be easy to maintain that so that we could be in a position of loving others and, and seeking to be a blessing to others. We don't look back and go, I wish we would have driven the newest cars or had a bigger house. Or we, We've never been there because I wanted to be a student of Jesus. And I just didn't want to read what he had to say as a person that would admire some great teacher or rabbi of the past. I wanted to implement what he was saying because what he was saying was life-giving. You with me? Jesus said, do not store up treasures here on earth, Matthew 6, where moth eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves steal your stuff, store your treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, they're the desires of your heart and your heart's really going to be. So basically, don't invest your time and your money and energy in things that get old and things that rust and things that go out of style and things that can be stolen out of the back seat of your car. Don't invest in that. Instead, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Do things that matter, invest in people, share the gospel, love your neighbor, extend compassion to the brokenhearted, right? Be a kingdom-focused, God's kingdom-focused person, because wherever your resources and your treasure, that's where your heart's always going to be, and if you want to know where your heart is, just figure out what you treasure, because your heart always aligns to whatever it treasures the most. Mother Teresa said, live simply so that others may simply live. I read that, and I was like, her mission, her heart, her passion of taking care of the least of these in Calcutta, of taking care of the leper and the AIDS victims, and she goes, hey, 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 live simply so that others may simply live. Jesus made this statement. He goes, do you realize your eye? I love this one here. I love this. Rick, he said your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. This is all Matthew 6. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is healthy. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. I was studying and Jesus was saying, Hey, do you know what a healthy eye means? It means that you live an intentional life that is aligned to God to glorify God. And it also means that you've got a healthy eye of loving the least of these and helping people that are truly hurting. So a healthy eye was vertically focused on glorifying God and horizontally aware of people that were hurting. But an unhealthy eye was, you shun the poor, you live for yourself, and the only person you ever think about is me. And Jesus says, you want light to illuminate your whole body? Then get vertically focused on God and start loving your neighbor. He goes, that's where life is so I'm, I'm reading this going, all right, so if I'm studying this as a student, I would say, do I have a healthy eye or do I have an unhealthy eye? Am I vertically focused to glorify God, to honor the teachings of Master Jesus, or am I just shunning the poor and ignoring all this and just living for me? Jesus said, do not worry about all this stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Don't, don't worry about that. And I would tell you, why would you tell us not to do that, Jesus? Because you worry about what you worship. And when you're focused on that, you're going to worry about that. And you're going to give that your worship. And when you're worshiping stuff, it's going to eat your life. It's going to steal your joy. Here's a statement. Here's a statement. Anything that does not add value to your life. And anything that does not arouse the joy of the Lord may be robbing you of simplicity and devotion to Christ. Whatever it is, does it it add value to my life? Does it add value to others? Does it awaken in me a desperation to want to walk in know God deeper? But if it doesn't, it could be occupying time, attention, and affection that's robbing me. Of knowing the Lord. Here's here's three benefits of simplicity. It will help you with focus. I promise you, when you start to simplify, it does help with focus because then you'll start to know where to put your time, your money, your energy, whatever. And it will allow you to focus on one thing at a time and and not get so overwhelmed. Lord, I need I I need my focus clarified here. That's the second one. It's going to give you clarity. When you start to live a life of simplicity, consecrated to the Lord, not allowing the enemy to come in and deceive you and lure you away, it will give you clarity. It starts to clear up. Hey, this matters. That don't even matter, right? And you start to, to like reach meaningful, purposeful goals. I had this goal. This was meaningful. This was for the glory of God. And it starts to remove a bunch of distractions and noise out of your life, Oh. Got to get rid of a bunch of distractions and noise. So when you start to simplify things, it gives you focus, clarity. And another thing is it starts to eliminate stress. Don't worry. How do I get there? You need focus. You need clarity. And once you start to get there, it's going to help you eliminate stress and anxiety, being overwhelmed. And because when you're overwhelmed and stressed out, none of us do anything well. None of us do. When you are so occupied with something else and it's just weighing you down, you can't do anything well. Relationships are hijacked or whatever. And I I was sitting there last night just thinking about, man, this is kind of a first for me. You're going into these holidays, you know. But I was like, how do people navigate through this when there's been a death like my dad passing away? When there's been a brutal, nasty divorce? When there's all this dissension relationally? If they don't have Christ and if they have not simplified their foundation to be focused on Christ, how do they get through this? How do they make it? I mean, they're a mess, right? They're just flooded with anxiety and guilt and shame. Let me give you some practical advice regarding stewarding, stewarding money with simplicity. This would help help some of you out. Before you buy something, ask yourself, what's the real cost of this item? I'm not talking about the dollar amount. Can can I really afford it? How how much time is this thing going to require? Is it really a need? I mean, before you make a purchase, if you stop going, what's this going to cost me? How often will I use it? Is it going to add value? Is it going to strengthen my walk with God? Is this purchase possibly going to distract me from things that really do matter? What's it going to do to the pace of my life? Is it it going to speed me up or is it going to slow me down so that I can enjoy God? I think before you make a purchase, just going, stop. What's it going to cost you? The second thing would be, especially all of us, this is 365 now. This is not just around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Refuse to impulse purchase. So many people just impulsively just buy stuff. You want to eliminate just buying stuff impulsively? Then stay off of Amazon and and keep your butt out of the stores. This Black Friday deal is 60% off. Who cares if we're giving it to you? It's one more thing. It's something else in your closet. It's like, do I need it? What's it going to cost me? I mean, get into the habit of giving to other people. Is that good? Yes, Blessing someone else, loving someone else, man—they got a need there. Yes, yeah, so let's go, let's go love on them. Have a budget; budgets protect us. It, it will keep you away from a bunch of that. And then, I would just say, learn to appreciate God's creation more than you do stuff. We were, Barb and I were away this week. We left last Sunday and we went down to Fort Morgan, just outside of uh, Gulf Shores. And this was so powerful. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday we're sitting there. And, I mean, these stingrays were were swimming by. They said it was mating season. And so they, they were jumping up out of the water. I guess every time they did whatever they did, they jumped up out of the water. I was like, it's pretty fascinating. I'm like, look at God's creation. We saw shark. We saw dolphins. We got, the other day, probably for an hour, hour and a half, I got fascinated with all these sand crabs. I'm like, look at God's creation right there. That's so trippy. I mean, you got all these birds flying by. I was watching the rhythm of the ocean. And I'm like, ah, nobody's got that plugged into any power source, right? And then with all God's beauty and creation, the blue angels, they, they were training and they were going by right in front of us. So I'm watching man's like power. In, in, in the tandem and watching, I was like, check it out. These things are like banking right in front of us. And Barb was taking videos and pictures. I'm like, that is so fascinating. But I was telling my son, Benji, I said, Benji, I was watching these F-16s and these blue angels. But after about an hour, they got to shoot back over to Pensacola. They got to fuel it up again. And I said, I was watching the ocean. And I'm like, look at God's creation. Oh, it never runs dry. Look at it. It just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. So I appreciated man's advancement, but I got totally locked in this past week of just looking at God's creation. You know how much it cost? It was free. Six flags can't compete with the Gulf of Mexico. Look at the beauty. And I would tell you, instead of just going out and spending money, just say, look look at the stars, the lunar eclipse, man. Look at at what God's put out there, man. Check it out. That's who I'm going to be with forever. G.K. Chesterton. I love reading (laughs) Chesterton quotes. I do. He goes, there's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more the other is to desire less i'm like that's right hey hey two ways to get enough you can accumulate more and more or you can just learn to desire less the message of advertisers these modern day priests they they they're luring hey we're going to we're going to Play off your desires and wants, not off your needs. What do you need? Clothing and water. Close you with this. Remember. Remember. This is perspective. This is simplicity. Remember. Your breath. Belongs to God. And at any time, God can say, Andrew, give me back my my breath. So the very breath in our body belongs to God, which means your life belongs to God. People go, what's the secret to life? The secret to life is it doesn't belong to you. You want to know the secret? It's not yours. It's his. So we're to steward what belongs to another. Life is a gift. Manage it well. What would you say? I would say, hey, over these next days, please implement what we've been teaching and talking about. Practice solitude and silence. Practice Sabbath. Sanctify a day unto the Lord. Keep it simple. Practice simplicity. Apply the teachings of Jesus even when it comes to this thing of money and wealth and riches. Hey, what, 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 what should we do this week? Spend time in solitude and silence. Get into the Word. Pray. Spend time alone, irremost with God. Yeah. Start implementing every week a Sabbath in your life. Well, what, what else would you say? I would say uh, tithe faithfully consistently, even go beyond it. Tithe is is a good place to start. It's a bad place to stay. Live a life of radical generosity. What, what, What can I do? You can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and think about pure, right, holy, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy things as you walk through this week. If you think about the goodness of God more than you think about your hatred toward your sibling that you might see on Thursday, it might clarify you and give you some focus. Right? Oh, I can't believe we've got to see Aunt. Oh, she's going to be there. But allow the presence of God to be stronger than the presence of. Yeah. So love your neighbor, forgive quickly. Extend grace. These are all protections that promote health and well-being. and eliminates stress and complication, Or It does. When you go through something, it's like, ah, oh, what's going on, man? This thing ain't ticking just right. It's like, God, what are you doing? I'm slowing you down. Trust me. Philippians 4 one of the most misquoted passages in the scripture the rabbit's foot verse i can do all things through Christ stop, stop. the way eugene peterson captures this and the message is so right on he goes i don't need anything personally i've learned to be content Whatever my circumstances, I'm at peace with having little or with having much. I found the secret for being joyful and content. Whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full, whatever, please listen to this. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything because of Jesus. He's the one who makes me what I am. No matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm going through, no matter the circumstances, Jesus Christ is my contentment. He is my portion and my full. He'll never leave me. He's going to walk through it with me. So I want to adhere to the teachings of Master Jesus when he said, hey, hey, don't be greedy. Don't pursue that earthly stuff. Help other people out and stockpile your wealth and your true treasures in heaven. Yeah. Make Jesus the center of it all, and He will help you navigate and keep things simple.